Good to see other people mess up. I'm not the only one. Good to see you today in the house of the Lord. Appreciate you being here. Our special day, a special service, and we're grateful for the opportunity that we have just to uh, be able to be here and worship the Lord. Thank you, choir. Good singing this morning. Have your Bible, and not, you can see it on the screen probably behind us uh, as we continue on why did Jesus come? Scott has been dealing with that now for several weeks, and we want to continue in that. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 22, begin reading there in verse number 14. And when the hour and break it, he gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we're grateful for the time of the year that we're in. We're grateful for the time that we celebrate what is known as Passover. We're grateful for a time of the year, Lord, when we can look back and see the sacrifice that was made on Calvary, that whosoever will can come and be born into the family of God. Pray today, Lord, that you would uh, help us to have a better understanding when we leave here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Why did Jesus come? He came to have the final Passover and the first communion. Remember that. So he goes from the last Passover to the Lord's table, which is a new memorial feast that it will be instituted in this day. So he he ends the celebration of looking back to God's delivering power out of Egypt, and he starts a new memorial looking back to the cross and what that cross means. The passage that I read to you breaks into two parts. The first part is about him celebrating the Passover, and the last couple of verses speaks about him instituting what is known today as uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. (laughs) Let me say just a little bit about that first Passover. Uh, Israel had been in Egypt for some 400 years. Uh, They had been under taskmasters. They had been enslaved. They had been mistreated. Uh, And uh, they cried out to God, and God heard their cry. And God went to the backside of a desert and found a man by the name of Moses and set a bush on fire in front of him in order that he might get the attention of Moses. And we know that uh, he speaks out of that bush and tells him what to do. And Moses goes back down into the land of Egypt and God is going to use him to lead the people out of Egypt's bondage. 
We know that he goes to Pharaoh and he tells him to let the people go. Uh, and Pharaoh says he will, and then he, backs, he, he changes his mind. And, and we know that there's seven different plagues that goes on there in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh gets ready to let the people out of the land. Pharaoh gets really upset of what's happening in the nation. And if you remember, the final plague that's going to take place is going to be the, the uh, death of the firstborn. The death angel is going to come through on this given even. And, and every firstborn of every family, whether it be animal or man, and if the home does not have blood upon the lintel and upon the doorpost, uh, then uh, there's going to be the death of the firstborn. But it says if they see, if the angel sees the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, it says there that the angel will pass over. And that's where we get that term, pass over from. He'll pass over the house. So during this time, Pharaoh is going to let the people go. He's tired of what's going on. And so he tells them to leave. And uh, we know that uh, they get ready to leave. And about the time that uh, they get out of there, he realizes what he has done. Uh, and he takes off after them. And God has to finish him up in the Red Sea. He drowns him there along with a whole army why did Jesus come? Number one, He came to be the Savior. Everything that Jesus did was in perfect accord with a divine plan that God had made even before the foundation of the world. That's when Jesus was first identified as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Now Jesus knew when he would die. He knew where he would die. He knew who would be the ones who would drive the nails in his hand. He knew that he would be lifted up on Calvary. He knew all of this even before the foundation of the world. And he said to the world, no man takes my life from me, but I lay my life down freely. Thank God for that. On the 14th day of Nisan, which is April. That was Passover day. But before he dies, he wants to meet together with his apostles, uh, and he is going to end something on that night, uh, and he's going to begin something uh, new. So the lesson here is uh, death uh, uh, has to be a death, and that death can be uh, a death of a substitute. God was saying, I will spare you, I will deliver you from judgment if there is the death of an innocent substitute. So the message, so the message of the Passover is God delivers through the death of an innocent substitute. But no animal was an innocent substitute. No person was ever delivered from divine judgment by the death of an animal. 
The repeated sacrifices of the animal was simply a continual symbol of the fact that God does deliver from death of an innocent substitute. The fact that and God is going to show that to us in our lesson and message this morning. They waited for a sacrifice that would be satisfactory. No animal of all the millions that was killed over the years, no animal was that substitute that could pay for the sins of mankind. Verse 14 says, And when the hour was come, that is Passover. That is not crucifixion yet, but that is Passover. Remember Peter and John. I didn't read it, but back in verse number 8 of this same chapter, we know that Peter and John has been sent away by Jesus into the city, and he says unto them, Go into the city and prepare a place for Passover. And they said, well, how are we going to go? How, how, how are we going to know where to do this at? And Jesus said unto them, Go into the city, and you're going to find a man carrying a pot of water. Now you say, What's strange about that? Men did not carry pots of water. Ladies had to say that was your job. If a man carried water, he carried it in an animal skin, not in a pot. So go into the city, you're going to find a man carrying a pot of water, uh, and uh, you inquire of him, and he's going to show you where uh, that we're going to have the Passover. There's a lot that has to be prepared. The animal has to be slain. The animal has to be roasted. They have to get all of this together. So they are gone into the city, and they found this place, uh, and, um, they, and, and they're going to prepare uh, Later on, after they have prepared this meal, uh, Jesus is going to come along with the other ten men. I believe Jesus was keeping this a secret simply for the reason uh, he knew what uh, this guy by the name of Judas was up to. Uh, and Judas knew uh, that this would be the perfect place to, to get Jesus and catch him and let him be carried away uh, and be tried. And so Jesus is keeping this a secret. And the men did not come back and let them know where this is going to take place or where it would be held. Uh, Jesus is saying here, I am not going to be arrested until the time has come. And the time was not yet come. He had to celebrate some things here with the apostles. Remember that Passover was instituted by God. And now it's got to be eliminated by God. He started it. He's going to bring it to an end. There are some final instructions about the, uh, concerning the apostles, and we do not have time to go there. Uh, but read John chapter number 13 through chapter number 16 sometime, uh, when you have time, uh, and see all that was going on on this given evening. And then the whole chapter 17 is a monumental prayer that Jesus offers there. It's a long prayer. Uh, and then we know there in verse number or chapter number 18, 
Uh, it tells us after that he has finished the prayer and the Passover's over, we know that he's going to go across the brook Kedron and go into the garden where that he is going to pray until his sweat become as great drops of blood falling under the ground. And it's here that he will be betrayed and picked up and taken there to Pilate's hall. There's got to be the dismissal of Judas. So we know on this night, after Jesus and the, and the group have come together, uh, um, Judas is going to dip his hand there and Jesus is going to expose him. And then we know that there's Peter. And God said unto Peter, Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. And Peter says unto, unto Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crows three times, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. <coughs> Having a little problem today, pray for me. Most of you know I got COPD from being a non smoker. We know here that uh, they're going to come together and uh, we know there's uh, a lot going on. During this time also is going to be some cleansing. They're going to have some cups and they're going to wash some hands and, and uh, they're going to get into an argument. Sounds kind of like Baptist to me. They get in an argument on whom is the greatest among the twelve. And Jesus is going to teach them a great lesson here during that time. When He rises up and goes and girds Himself with a towel and begins to wash their feet, He teaches them a lesson on humility. Not only did He come to be the Savior, but He came to be the substitute. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table uh, and the apostles with him. It's not like the picture that many of you have seen uh, by Leonardo da Vinci. Remember that picture? It's a long table. uh, Disciples on this side, disciples on this side, and Jesus in the middle. That was not how it was on that night. In fact, in that day, you know, when we go to eat, what do you do? You sit down and put your feet under the table, do you not? But on this given night, uh, they didn't sit down at a table. They kind of leaned into the table and they leaned kind of on a couch-like thing and maybe put their uh, head up on their uh, fist or their elbow or something there And they kindly reclined to the table. And they put their feet away from the table, which is good. They had not washed feet. So here they are. And uh, we know that uh, they're sitting down uh, and uh, they're fixing to partake of uh, this communion service here Uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, A long meal. 
If you don't believe they reclined, then you read Matthew and Mark, and they confirm for us exactly what was going on. It was different on this night than the first Passover in Egypt. The original Passover back in Egypt was uh, to be eaten with your loins girded about, uh, your shoes on your feet, uh, your staff in your hand, uh, and you're ready to leave because Pharaoh is going to let you go. According to Josephus, who is the Jewish historian of that day, uh, he says in his writings uh, that there were there would always be 10 up to 20 men that would consume a lamb. No less than that and no more than that. Because the whole sacrifice had to be consumed on this night. Nothing could be left of this animal. So we know that there's 13 men here and they're going to consume this sacrifice. Passover is going to start at sundown. It begins with a prayer of thanksgiving. They come in, the the meal is prepared, and uh, there is a prayer of thanksgiving. Thanking God for deliverance and protection. Just somewhat of a general prayer, nothing special outside of just saying, thank you God that you have protected us and brought us out of the land of bondage. That's basically what it was saying. (coughs) Then would come the first cup. In case I forget it, there were four cups on this night. Not just one as we have here today, but maybe I'll mention something about that. Thank God for water. So there would come the first cup. And it, was, it would be received as a cup of blessing in which they would speak of all the blessings of God. It's kind of like when we come together, uh, uh, maybe in a Sunday school gathering or in a D-Life group, uh, and uh, a subject comes up and we sit there and we talk about it. Uh, Whatever it is, it comes up and we discuss what is going on. So they have the cup of blessings here and they sit around and uh, they speak about what's been going on in their lives. Uh, and then we know that they wash their hands. Uh, this was a ceremonial washing in which they would recognize the need of cleansing. And if they're going to celebrate this deliverance of God uh, uh, here at this time, uh, they want to make sure that their hearts are right with God uh, and uh, that they can go through this washing of their hands uh, as a symbol of their cleansing. What is interesting to me is uh, this is supposed to be a time of confession and cleansing and all like that, and the next thing you know, they're in an argument. So that tells me something. They've gone through the ceremonial cleansing, which had really not affected their heart at all. And a lot of times we do that. We do that. So they cleaned the outside, but the inside was still dirty. 
They still were finding fault one with another. And who's the best one of this entire bunch? <clears throat> so it started with the first cup. Then a ceremonial cleansing. And <clears throat> then there would be the bitter herbs uh, that they would consume, which uh, eating these bitter herbs uh, spoke of the bitterness of what they went through in the land of Egypt. They would take a piece of unleavened bread and they would dip it into a paste made out of fruits and nuts and somehow or another it was bitter as a reminder unto them of the bitterness that went on in the land. Then there would come the singing of the challah. They've had the first cup. They've thought about the blessing. And then they're going to sing. They're going to sing Psalms 113 through Psalms 118. I ask you to read it sometime. I sat last Tuesday here at the church and I listened to a young man on his guitar sing those psalms. Now, I didn't understand him because he was singing in Hebrew. But I kind of got a gist as I read along trying to keep up with him concerning the song. So first of all, they would come together and they would sing, first of all, Psalms 113 and 114. And then they would have the second cup. And after the second cup, the father of the family would stand and he would tell the people uh, why all of this has taken place, uh, how that it begun, how that it was in Egypt in, in, in days gone by. And so it would have been Jesus' responsibility uh, to stand and explain unto them what is fixing to take place, and that is... Uh, Passover is going out and communion is coming in and this is going to remind you not of Egypt, but it's going to remind you of me. They would eat the Passover lamb after the second cup and the unleavened bread. And then they would have the third cup. And then they would sing Psalms 115 to Psalms 118. And then they would take the fourth cup and Passover was over. It's done. Now this is over a period of several hours. This just didn't take place in a few minutes. This took place over a long period of time. And if you remember, it said when they finished, they sung, a hit, they sung a hymn. They didn't sing a hit, but they sung a hymn. Probably one of the psalms here. Verse 15 says, And he said to them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Back where I sit with my wife. To the left of me, there's a picture in the window. If you look at that picture, 
is Jesus stretched out on a cross before a world. Now, out of respect of the picture, they put a loincloth on him. But that would not have been there on that day. They publicly shamed him before the whole world at that time. Passover is over. He ate the lamb and became the lamb. Keep that in your mind. He ate the lamb and he became the lamb. And last of all, he came that there could be a second coming. He came as Savior. He came as a substitute. He came in order that there might be a second coming. Verse 17 and 18. He took the cup, gave thanks, said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, that's important, until the kingdom of God shall come. <coughs> Both verses indicate there's going to be another meal. Another time. There's going to be a time when there's going to be a, another gathering together around the tele. The table to celebrate another Passover. He says, I will eat and I'll drink with you. That is eschatology. And if that's a word you don't know anything about, that includes the rapture of the church was imminent at any time. And then there is the revelation for the church, uh, which takes place seven years after the rapture of the church. Uh, and after that, they go into what is known as a millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who says, I don't believe that. You don't believe the Bible then. Amen. Read Revelation chapter 20. Six times there in Revelation chapter number 20, it says there that there will be a millennium which is a thousand-year reign of Christ uh, there in the land of Jerusalem upon the throne of David as He rules with a rod of iron and says unto the world out there, I am King. Amen. I am King. God's going to come back. Or Jesus is going to come back. He's going to judge the ungodly. He's going to take the godly into the kingdom. The saints that are already in heaven is going to come back with Him. And all the saints of God is going to go into this glorious kingdom with the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Jesus came to end ceremonial law. All the dietary laws. All the Sabbath days. If you remember, Jesus was resurrected on what day? On the first day of the week, which was a Sunday. And from that day forward, every church meeting was on Sunday. 
not on the old Jewish Sabbath. He brought an end to all the sacrifices. There'll be no more animals have to be sacrificed. Uh, he brought to the end the Holy of Holies. Uh, he brought to an end the high priesthood of going into those Holy of Holies one time of the year and sprinkling the blood of that animal upon the mercy seat there and atoning for the sins of an individual for one year. And you got to do it all over again. Thank God when Jesus came and died on the cross of Calvary, that settled it once and forever. He became that substituted lamb that died for the sins of the world. Are you saved today? Are you going to heaven when this life is over with? Thank God for what Jesus done. Amen? You ought to get excited about this. That curtain would split. There was a curtain that hung between the holy place and the holy of holies. And on that given day when Jesus looked to the Father and says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it says he gave up the ghost. And when he gave up the ghost, that curtain, that curtain split from the top to the bottom, saying it's done, it's finished. I'm glad he. I'm glad he made it that whosoever will could come. Poor boy grazed up in the hills of North Georgia with nothing. And the night I got saved probably didn't have much in my pocket, if any. But I heard the gospel. I'd heard preaching before, but I'd never heard the gospel. That night I heard the gospel. And something stirred in my heart and brought conviction to my heart. And I heard the man say, whosoever will can come if you desire to be saved. That included me. And as I said before, I went to an altar. I don't know what I prayed, but I do remember saying, Lord Jesus, save me. And he saved me. Are you saved? We're fixing to have a communion service. We need to celebrate this day of what Jesus did for us on Calvary. One day, one day, If Jesus doesn't come, one day, you'll read that Pastor Jerry has uh, passed away. And somebody's going to say, well, he's dead. He'd be more alive than he's ever been. I'm going to paradise if I don't go in the rapture. I don't know what goes on in paradise. I've never read what goes on in paradise other than what's said in Luke chapter number 16. But one thing for sure, 
and I'll have COPD again. I won't have to worry about preaching the Word of God and trying to keep my voice. You know, all will come to an end. Thank God one day it's over. As the men come to prepare for the communion service, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Pastor, you want to come and lead us in this? As they come, Father, you tell us in the Word of God to search our hearts. And to the best of my ability this morning, I've come confessing, asking you to forgive me of my sin of omission and commission. We don't want to participate in this service with sin in our life. And if there's people here today that has sin that's not confessed, I pray right now, God, that they'll confess that to you. That's what you tell us in the Word of God. Confess our sins and then partake of the Lord's Supper. Not confess our sins and not partake, but to confess and partake. Blessing this communion service that we're about to observe as we look back to the cross until you come again. And one day in the millennium, we will do this again. Not looking back to Egypt, but looking back to the cross, what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.